Well, oh. good. I I want them to know that I have a you are I have a history, and it's complicated. Rum- oh, never yeah. Mind. Um, yeah. No one's anyone. Never mind. Cool. Um, yeah. So, Gina, what do you want to get rid of this Samane? What? Did you say Maine? Just I I'm said from... Samane. I said Samane, which is French oh. for week. Oh, but you I are also so Maine. Charleston. What do you want to get rid of, Samane? That you're from Maine. <laughs> um. Well. I have some shoes that are probably past the point that I that they're fashionable. Oh, you mean mean like as in they're like dirty? No, Uh, I just mean like the ones I'm wearing today, for example. You can't see them because you don't can't see my feet, and they're not on my feet. But they're like you know a little dirty, uh, a little bit like torn at the soles and the sides. Sure, like you've worn through the ball. I was worn through the ball, but like not to the extreme that like they my foot is like exposed uh-huh. so i want to get rid of them but i also want to keep them and that's what i and i want i don't know I, it's just like the you know this is not like a big <laughs> one this is just the literal practical like do i want to get rid of these this week that's why my answer to your question is well it's not a question <laughs> I, I mean i did ask I, the question I, my what do answer you want to get rid a of question do i want to get rid of these like several pairs of shoes because if I did, then would I just buy new shoes to replace them? Because I mean that's I don't what need one to. does with. But like they're not quite at the point. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well. Okay. So question: that's Are all. they casual shoes or are they like a, a, a fashionable shoe that you're only going to wear at a particular occasion? Um, I only wear fashionable shoes, so I don't uh, understand okay. your question. Uh, Sorry. Is this a uh, high fashionable shoe which you wear with a uh, high frequency, or is this a low frequency shoe, perhaps the the uh, of the more haute variety of oh. your particular uh, shoe? Well, so that's the thing is, there choice. are several that are like at the same place. I would say more, right. but yeah, they're okay, all okay, okay. fucked up, right? Yeah. So like, okay. wow, <laughs> Man, ouch. They are all they're um, all lovingly used. Right. They've all been loved. To, to a state to of bedragglement. <laughs> too much love is a... Yeah, um, yeah I, I wear them more frequently. They're not like once in a couple months. They're like, you know, more... You could wear them out. Right. They're not evening gown shoes. They're like no. shoes that you would wear if you like were going to coffee gown. with someone you haven't... A day gown. A day gown shoe. Right. Yeah. Day gown shoes. Um, that sounds... Day gown. Day gown. That sounds it's, like a great. Like that sounds like an app. That sounds like a that slur from like the the French connection for Italian people. Oh, or we're oh. saying about to say Dagoba. There's just so many things with podcasts that I was already just. I was thinking of like that sounds like a startup day gown. Day gown. Shoes. Yeah, like some like we're, we're just like like your day like it's you know, a place oh, for like like, like high fashion casual, casual. Wear. like yeah mm. like what to wear to your. You know, super cool tech job that may or may not go out of business soon because they all go out of business. Um, mm. Shade, <laughs> yeah, shade wow. to the tech sector. Um, uh, yeah, let's yeah. start that. Let's start that clothes company. Um, what? What, what do I want to get rid of? Yeah. Um. Okay. Well, do you want like? Mm, yeah. What do you want? Uh, that one. What do you want? I want one. Oh fuck me! I don't know. The <laughs> That's choices. the one I didn't want to do. I want um, the perfect one. It's got to be so good. It's, it's got to be so cry. good. It's gonna make me laugh. Oh, cry! Okay, well, no, here's cry the deal. And laugh. Cry, laugh. Are you familiar with the psychoanalytic term cathexis? 
No. I've only recently become aware of this psychoanalytic term. This is cathexis. your one for the day. I'll and just warn you now. It, I'm making it the uh, Webster's Dictionary defines cathexis as an investment of mental or emotional energy in a person, object, or idea. End of story. Period. That's the end of the definition. Yeah, no, some of them have, like, well, I realized that, like, my definitions were not coming from Webster's Dictionary, and I didn't want to be a liar. Mm. Okay. But, um, like, So you want to get rid of... Oh, well, yeah, no, what I want to get... You know, I just want to get rid of that because it's also, like, not... The word? Voluntary. The word or the idea of it? The connection? Definitely the idea of it. Although, well, Orwell might it, say the fine. existence of the word creates the thing itself and you know i mean that's like the whole principle behind newspeak that if you get rid of the word perhaps you get rid of the thing um i doubt it i mean i disagree knowledge of sin makes us prone to it whoa (laughs) fuck um but the yeah no um but yeah it's just this whole thing of like you know you can be like say if you are like re- you know really following like politics and you're super emotionally involved in it you may not want to be but then you're just like somehow super wound up in it or like we know a friend who shall remain anonymous who has anonymous a- anonymous no. oh hey anonymous what's up um but who yeah shall remain anonymous who has a fraught relationship with a member of their family who shall remain anonymous because they did something that shall remain anonymous and got it. You know, they who shall remain anonymous. I actually did get it. <laughs> you really gave it away there. Hey, sorry. I'm just, uh, I can't believe you cracked that coat. Um, no, but uh, yeah. And so they don't want to feel any particular way about how that person who shall remain anonymous has reacted f- based on, their reaction you're kind of doing what i did last week when i was like i don't want to say this story except that this time we actually can't say the story which by the way everything's fine with that thing for the thing i was worried about the theater company okay keep going oh great 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 that's awesome no that's awesome um (laughs) follow up you know i mean um but uh uh yeah, yeah you know they but, were like but that emotional i don't want to have that emotional feeling toward that person who did they were the one who perpetrated the thing so they should be able to <laughs> not have this is fascinating i'm so got the well, pronouns and antecedents they're out the door um uh everyone is uh, the this is what the world is coming to this, um but uh <laughs> hey. i don't know where i'm going um, but yeah um, but yeah no this idea that like you can uh not have rigid uh control of your mental emotional life the fact that you uh i don't know i'm just wondering yeah uh let's get rid of it but let's get rid of it cool Let's control. Let's lock down. Let's be, have life. absolute utter control. Yes, and never surrender to anything great. and be um, just invulnerable. Yeah, I, to the be best great. of our abilities. Sounds fun. Um, vulnerability is the truest sin. Uh, I feel like I've said the word sin you too have. much. I feel like I need to it's say it more. Sin. Say it a couple times. Sin. Um, yeah. Are you ready yeah. to hop up? 
into 1988. <laughs> Just hop up in there. Hop up in there. Um, this is the yeah. year of Julie Drexler is... Johnson's birth. What? Ooh, what? 1988, the yeah. year of Julie Drexler Johnson's birth? That's crazy because she also so said crazy. she wanted us to say that 1989... Was Taylor Swift's birth year, and she was just like, "Man, I feel like I would rather people know about Taylor Swift's birth year next year because Julie Drexler Johnson, in addition to being Taylor Swift's doppelganger, also loves her body of work. Although she's a bigger Reputation fan than she is." A We're not even. I'm, this makes me terrified or, to know what's going to happen next time when we actually get to the year you're talking about. But right now, dope. we're not when there. Was Adele we're born? in 1988. Was she born in 1988? This is the year. No, okay. 1988. But we'd have to do the whole intro. Do it. Uh, yo, go, uh, do it. Beyond okay. the New. Uh, should we keep this? The Cultural Review podcast you know and love looks back over the past 50 of film, music, and television, challenging your nostalgia to get it the question. Say it in French. I don't know how to do. Should we keep this? <laughs> there we go. He's Stephen Muskus. Should we keep this? Uh, je suis, uh, je m'appelle Stephen Muskus. Uh, I said your name, but I'll say my name too. I'm Gina uh, Stevenson. Tu t'appelles Gina Stevenson. <laughs> and uh, if you haven't figured it out, new... we're in the year 1988. Wait. Which, uh, oh my God. Uh, n- You're going to just live translate everything. Okay, so the Best Picture winner and the Top Grossing Film were the same this year, and they were both L'Homme de Pluie. Nice. Um, and so we uh, will talk about Rain Man, but also the top grossing TV show. I don't know how to say show. show? Do you I don't know how to say the, show. Say uh, the Cosby, Cosby show. show. <laughs> yes. Woo, it's quite a Yeah, be what a, a, year. Be a year. What a year to discuss. What a year, what a year for things. Year. That, I mean, my God, are you the, the, what do you want to start with? Well, first of all, this is the year <laughs> I'm. Pleased with myself, and I shouldn't be because it's dumb. And now I've built it up even for a second. Oh my god, I'm so oh my god, anticipation is rising. It's all in the family, just to reference another sitcom from the past. But yeah, you love it. I lost my voice that moment, which is a sign. Nice. Um, it's I, all in the family. Reference to all in the family. Also, a show that takes place in New York, in an outer in borough. What? Yes. So that's the year. Um, let's start. I watched Rain Man. For, well, let's I do Rain Man. Let's do Rain Man first, anyway, because when we talk about shows, you know, we talk. It's kind of like talking about songs. So we yeah, should do yeah, that. Yeah, second. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, um, so Rain Man. Yeah. Okay, so this was the again the best picture winner and the top grossing film of uh-huh. 1988. Um, so in the beginning of the movie, we meet Charlie Babbitt, who is a selfish, wheeling and dealing dude who lives in L.A. He buys and resells expensive cars, um, but money is really tight right now. He's got creditors breathing down his neck at the start of the film. It's like, oh God, he owes Borrow a lot money of money. From a loan shark. Um, he learns very early on that his estranged wealthy father has just passed away. So he and his girlfriend Susanna, who also works for him, um, travel to Cincinnati to settle the estate. Uh, when he gets there, though, Charlie learns that his father has left his $3 million estate to an unnamed trustee um, and not to Charlie. He's left Charlie a very cool car, but that's mm-hmm. it. Um, and so 
Charlie learns that this trustee is the head of this um, psychiatric hospital treatment facility called, I actually didn't write it down. Whoa, Walbrook? Walbrook. Walbrook. Yeah. Um, name, the guy's name is Dr. Bruner is the head of it. Uh, and so Charlie goes there, uh, and when he's there, he meets a brother that he never knew he had, who's this guy, Raymond. Um, Raymond is autistic. Um, he also has savant syndrome, um, which we'll get into later as far as like, Okay, anyways, portrayals. Um, but so that, you know, he's autistic, but he also, like, is incredibly good at remembering. Uh, his memory is amazing, and he can do, like, huge math problems in his head and, like, count things really fast and, like, all those kinds of things. Um, uh, but he also, you know, he has these strict routines he has to adhere to, and he doesn't understand the concept of money. And that irony is sort of, you know, Charlie talks about that because he's just got $3 million. Um, so Charlie sort of takes Ray out of the institution, kind of kidnapping him uh, as a way to try to get half of the inheritance that he thinks he's due um, from Dr. Bruner. But the doctor's like, no. Uh, Susanna, the girlfriend, is upset with Charlie's irresponsible, very selfish actions. Um, so she leaves him. And Charlie and Ray begin the long, a long road trip back to L.A. because Ray refuses to fly. And during the trip, you know, we, a lot of the movie is just them kind of driving and the things that happened to them along the way. Uh, Charlie is alternately frustrated with his brother and kind of amazed by him. And they sort of learn about these uh, sort of emotional connections that they have. Uh, they go to Vegas uh, in order to once Charlie figures out that Ray could can count cards. And so they at Vegas, they win enough money to pay off Charlie's creditors. Uh, and then they get kicked out of Vegas because, you know, they were counting cards. Uh, they get back to L.A. where there is going to be a custody hearing, um, which originally Charlie had concocted as a way to try to get money. Um, but by that point in the movie, now he doesn't really care about the money. He just wants a relationship with his brother, um, but realizes that, you know, that actually living in Walbrook is probably the best thing for him. So Dr. Bruner is given custody. And the movie ends with Charlie taking Ray to the train station <clears throat> where they say goodbye, but that Charlie will come and visit in two weeks, he says. And that's the end of the movie. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um pardon my coughing. Mm. Yeah. Um Yeah. So oh, Jesus Christ. Um yeah, so uh won four Academy Awards, picture, screenplay, director, and then Hoffman won for uh best actor. Um initially Raymond. it was um extend it was initially intended to be Bill Murray as Raymond mm. and Hoffman uh, in in the Tom Cruise role. Oh. Um Charlie, right? Yeah. Yes, um yeah. yeah, I didn't say that. Which would have been such a different movie. So different, yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, as much as like budget and revenue doesn't really matter, just the fact that this movie was made for twenty five million dollars when like Tom Cruise's salary for the movies he makes now is greater <laughs> than that, I always, I, I it mm -hmm. always just is kind of shocking to me. Yeah. Um, sure. uh, something a bit about like the making of the thing. Um, so this was greenlit just off the pitch when mm -hmm. when the writer pitched. The, the film to the producer. Um, he greenlit it, which is really only significant because uh, there was, during the filming of the movie, the Writers Guild of America West was on strike. So he literally delivered a, the, like a rough cut of the script hours before having to go on strike. And so like they were never able to do any sort of rewrites. Um, now, uh, we've already talked about Cruz. We've already talked about uh, Hoffman, but Valerie Valeria Galino, um, she was somebody who she was like kind of an Italian indie darling, Italian and French indie darling at um, in the late eighties and early nineties. But um, her career basically didn't take off in Hollywood because of 
Julia Roberts. Um, she was super, um, she was, it was, there were a couple movies that it came down a pretty woman, pretty woman being one of them mm-hmm. where, um, it was the two of them in like final callbacks. Um, and I did the research first, but watching the movie, I was like, Oh, I totally get why, mm-hmm. you why know, they were sort of why they were sort of seen as similar. Yeah. yeah. Um, and she played Susanna. The she played Susanna. Mm-hmm. Um, now this movie is, uh, fun fact, um, airlines cut out, the scene where he, where Dustin Hoffman is explaining why he doesn't want to fly, <laughs> oh, and like explaining the plane crashes, uh huh. And crash. so like That's they funny. they literally they cut it out because I mean in their defense I think it's totally fair because they don't want people thinking about how a plane could crash. You mean like cut it out for when they were showing it? Well, yeah, for like the, the in-flight movies, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and then also, so it with regard to um, counting cards, not illegal. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it but it began to like proliferate this notion that it was somehow this illegal thing when really mm. it's just a thing that casinos hate and will, sure. yeah. will do what they can to prevent you from being able to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, then like lastly, the, the main contribution this film has made has been perspectives on autism, mm-hmm. which a, it falsely, uh, created this um, conflation of people who are autistic with being savants. And then it also, but it also did shed light on the fact that like a lot of people who are autistic and in these um, group homes that, that a lot of people with mental disabilities are, were not at the time being allowed to see you know to experience the advancements that they could have made um and because they were being sort of relegated out of society they weren't able to experience the full function that they could have received um which is seen through dustin hoffman's like you know ability to get jokes and we see him like he does develop an emotional connection with tom cruise which like the the doctors feel like he couldn't possibly be capable of. Um, but on, and then honestly, the other thing is like rain man as a term Mm -hmm. has become synonymous with either the R word or effectively a magical R word. Mm -hmm. Um, either there's somebody who is portrayed as like having some sort of discernible mental handicap in film or television and someone goes like, oh, geez, you know, Rain Man over here. Mm. Or somebody adds or like does some sort of mental feat and then they go, oh, my God, normally he's just a prison. But when it comes to this, he's Rain Man, yeah. um, which effectively seems to be like. Like the magical R word. Mm, sure. um, I think it's also worth noting that this this is definitely the first but still the most successful as far as like commercial appeal movie to have an autistic character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that even the term autism and the diagnosis of that right. was like pretty much unknown to yeah. the general public when it came out. And so just as far as like this being the first representation that we really saw of somebody as autistic. Um, and even since then, there hasn't really been, there just certainly hasn't been anything as successful with an autistic main character. Um, right. No, for that, sure. And just to put that out there. And that is an issue of, of we, we've dealt with it before. Uh, I think with 
probably Midnight Cowboy, which is like if something is maybe not handled up to a contemporary standard, but is the only work that is actually sort of venturing into that territory, there is sort of inherent an inherent progressivism that mm-hmm. could be associated with it just because it's maybe it's missing the mark, but everyone else is just completely shutting it out of their mm-hmm. awareness. Yeah. Um, and it is based on um, the, the writer. He actually like at his country club met uh they're they're like super like one of their groundskeepers was mentally handicapped and had a similar experience of like being in a group home and then when group homes sort of came under fire for human rights abuses he eventually like went into a halfway house and then got like sort of small jobs like like being the handyman at this country club that then he became very interested in shedding light on stories of people with with autism and he actually he did write another movie that came out before uh that are based on the same guy and it does and it stars um mickey rourke as as the guy i believe it's just it's called uh bill um but oh no yeah let me look it up um but yeah it's called bill um, and it's a, it's about the same, um, oh, it was a TV movie, but yeah, um, Bill Sactor is the guy's name. Um, so it is like based on a real person and clearly it had such a profound effect on the writer that he, um, that he kind of centered his career around mm-hmm. spreading awareness through film of not just the existence of mental and physical disabilities, but like the, like kind of the dignity owed to those people. I mean, we as a culture, I don't feel like have paid, have paid that dignity. I think that we have, like you said, like it is one of the only films to do the, to venture into this territory in a mainstream way. Um, And so it, it'll be interesting to separate or to see if it's possible to separate and or worth separating, like what culture has done with it Mm. compared to what it is. Um, well, we'll save that for later. Uh-huh. Let's go to the Cosby show. Let's do it. Okay. So, um, just, I mean, like essentially just like when we've done TV shows before, like basically just kind of, kind of the setup of this, it's a 30 minute, half hour sitcom. Um, it's about the Huxtables who are an upper middle class black family living in Brooklyn. Um, Cliff Huxtable is the father. He's an obstetrician. Claire is the mother. She's a lawyer and they have four daughters and one son. Sandra, Denise, Theo, Vanessa, and Rudy. Um, and it's a sort of like, yeah, it's just kind of like your classic sitcom. It's really just like about the family and like growing up and, you know, the antics that family members get into. Um, and we watched, we watched five episodes from that were like the, mm-hmm. you know, most popular episodes, um, from various seasons. So yeah, that's, I mean, it's essentially, yeah, it's a sitcom. Right. That's the main premise of it. Um, it's one of only three shows to ever be number one for five consecutive seasons. We've already talked about all into the family and the other one was American idol. Um, <laughs> it is Sorry. lauded by some to like, it, it has received both um, like heavy praise for showing like a stable 
you know, a mi- upper middle class black family and, you know, really giving dimension to portrayals of black people. And then there have also been criticism for um, not incorporating how they as a family would be interacting with with racism. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also the Cosby sweater comes from the show like you know when it would you know with the exception of the show and jello a cosby sweater is just like one of the things people most associate with him but that was not part of his stand-up persona that was exclusively that was like a part of the tv show um as far as actors pretty much everyone is mostly associated with um this show except for uh raven simone raven simone is probably um the one who like this was sort of a launch pad for a larger career um, from this show on. And then of course, uh, Jeffrey Owens who plays Elvin. um, He was, who is the husband, husband of of their their oldest daughter, Sandra. Yes. Um, Who did not exist until the second season. Um, Fun fact. Uh, But like late in the first season, Sandra, like episode 11 or something. Hmm. Or I guess it's halfway through. Yeah. Pretty but either way, Denise was initially intended yeah, yeah, to be the yeah, oldest yeah, daughter yeah, yeah, in totally. the, in the pilot. She yep. is our oldest daughter, mm-hmm. um, which is played by Lisa Bonet, mother of Zoe Kravitz. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, but he was, he was the guy who was uh, effectively job shamed for working at uh, Trader, Trader Joe's. Joe's. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, you, and, uh, that's, and that's not mentioned. Well, and the fact that oh, it's created yes, by Bill I, it, Cosby, it created was, and starring and created, yeah. starring, produced, um, not necessarily written, um, but uh, the theme music. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is co-credited right. for the writing of the right. theme music. Um, Bill Cosby, who has had. Uh, a, I honestly didn't even like no, I, I, look I'm, into it. Just I don't even, it's so I'm, I'm not saying that like we need to, like, I think yeah. it's very, we all, um, everybody kind of know it's very much in the air, but right, just, but just roughly to say um, that that 19 or so allegations oh, of 60, 60. Well, yeah. fuck me. Yeah. Uh, 60 allegations of, um, sexual assault, um, of yes. v- varying degrees up into, of the most extreme. Yes. Um, and yes. he is currently in jail. Currently in jail. Yes. Um, are you Let's ready? Let's do it. Oh, man, oh, man. Um, Hold on. Let me wipe my brow I real know. quick. God, we're really getting into this. What a, what a week. Mm-hmm. Okay. Three. Two. One. Mm-hmm. The Cosby keep, Show. What? No, we have to keep Rain Man. What you're saying? Oh, I keep. Just, I, 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 I just. Oh my God. Yeah. Are you kidding? I'm ready. Holy I'm ready. shit! I'm ready. I'm ready. What? I'm ready. Okay, let's start with. Should we start with Rain Man? Just because we started with it a second yep. ago. Yep. Okay. Um. So you want to get rid of it? Do you want to start with why? With um. I think that. Uh, I'm trying to be cool, everybody, but I'm like freaking out inside. <laughs> I, I'm, my whole body is sweating, but I am prepared to, <laughs> we're going to be calm and we're going to talk gonna about it. I'm just prepared. Our... I'm just, I'm prepared to talk okay, about go it. Um, ahead. Let's go. You're sp- so, perspired, perspired and prepared. I mean, I hate that. Like, it's just, it's, it's a bit, 
I, I, at first, I just like acknowledge that there's like a little bit of a joke in the movie. To me, it's not in the film, but like it's just another one of those weird sort of Ghostbuster twists where the secret bad guy is somehow the Environmental Protection Agency. Mm-hmm. Like, what kind of bullshit is that? Um, but then also, I I never understood why they were like in love. I thought that uh, Susanna and and Charlie's relationship was awful like horrifically toxic he doesn't change in that regard at all she is treated like shit and then she like runs to vegas to like find him i mean i there is there in there is there's a scene where after they abduct raymond from the hospital where they're like they're having sex and then Raymond just hearing them have sex walks in and sits on the edge of the bed and is like mimicking their sounds. This takes place after the funeral where he made her wait in the car. Um, he, when they go to the hospital, they steal this, they steal a person. He, he does. Um, he doesn't, he, he steals, he lies right, to her against. Yes, exactly. Sure. Yeah. Lied to her. It is revealed that he lies to her. Mm-hmm. He orders food and she says that she does not want that food he orders it anyway presumption is that when it arrives he makes her eat it anyway and then like she reveals then he reveals that he's doing it to like try to get some of that money Mm -hmm. which she then like well i guess that is no she leaves after that so this is a little bit later but like all they're doing is fighting and him treating her like absolute garbage. And yes, granted toxic relationships do exist. And, but, but if, if this is the kind of toxic relationship where, you know, where this would like occur, I would like to see more of her side of it. Otherwise it, all we're seeing is just him be abusive and then her, just still loving him. Um, well, she does. I mean, yes, I, yes, she does. The, she leaves for a long time, but it's true that she comes back. I think I, right. I took most issue with her, the end of the, like her final scenes when she comes back. Right. And the beginning and, I personally thought was like, yeah, I was like, I, I buy it. And I like believe that she also then would like, you know, they, they're fighting and she like is really frustrated. They've been together a year mm. and like they also have sex. And then she's like, this is too much. I'm leaving, you know? Right. But she's but, also like fine with the fact that he, this like effective stranger was sitting on the edge of the bed, listening to them have sex. Well, and then when he gets upset, she's like, don't get upset. I'm like, you have no reaction at all. Like zero, right. zero sensitivity about the fact that like, I mean, I've been, yeah, she's shown to be like the perfect, like, because she is so understanding and sensitive to Raymond that like to a, to a fault in the movie's perception of her, because like it's true. Like he doesn't, he doesn't know what they're doing necessarily. You know, Raymond uh, is what the movie is saying. And so like, she is mad at her, him for yelling at his brother when, in, when it's just like, you know, he has lived his whole life inside of this institution. And so like, you know, what is he supposed to know? But, but I yes. don't believe that somebody, uh, that, uh, there's twofold. Either one, she's a sick person that is happy to fuck in front of this person who can't perceive what's going on, sit him in the corner while we Judgment. fuck. Don't, or, 
Some people like that. But continue. Sure. Some people, people are lawyers, like or are, um, putting exhibitionists. <laughs> right, but like, yeah, not to yes. not to people who are not cognizant of what's going on. That is. I actually don't know the name for the kind of crime that would be, but it's certainly a lack of consent is involved. Well, they just Um, didn't. I was like, they should have just closed their bedroom door. That was obvious. Right. Also, why they fuck with the door door. open? (laughs) Not not even a rookie mistake because no rookie makes that mistake. (laughs) Um, But yeah. mm. But then. It's just crazy. Or or. She would just be I just don't believe that she wouldn't have any sort of shock or surprise about the fact that there's suddenly a, a third person in the room. I mean, they, they weren't even like, there wasn't even a moment <laughs> totally, of like, totally. who ah, are you? Right, right, right. Yeah. I, I hated that. And then also the, when she comes back, they meet in Vegas. He, you know, thinks that this woman is wanting to go on a date with him. Um, but she just, I mean, effectively it's framed that she is a sex worker and sees him as a, a high roller. He's in a suit and he was a high roller. Um, and so he thinks that they have like a date at 10 at the bar. And when he gets stood up, she like stops the elevator, which I mean, I wasn't I alive in the eighties, but I, I like, just, can you just do that? Like but, pause, but like, that's in so button. many things. That's in so many movies, it's like stopping the elevator. Yeah. Uh, I'm just like, why would the, why would the general public have access to that? Mm-hmm. The amount of times that like a little kid in a movie right. swipes all the elevator <laughs> buttons. The fact that that little kid could also just stop the elevator. Well, if it doesn't do anything, then I guess it's fine. Like it stops it, but it doesn't like call the, fire department or something anyways yes yeah but then we, again scene, what, what's it there for but like fucking um but then vegas baby Vegas baby <laughs> um then yeah no they then she's like well here let's have a date in the elevator and they they dance and then she teaches them how to open mouth kiss i was like which you know what? it lasts all of a second but yes she does kiss him i i thought that was terrible i absolutely hated it i yeah. agree i totally agree i mean uh, she's she just becomes this like like I actually really liked in the first half of the movie when she was there, how she was pushing back and sh- against Charlie and like conflicted, clearly like conflicted about their relationship because like, I believe that, you know, of like loving somebody and like knowing that they're not right for you right now or they're making bad decisions. But that when she comes back, she is just a vessel for, you know, for like pit- sexual mm. pity essentially. And then, and like she gives him the gift of, you know, a kiss, right. which is like such a, what was a, the other movie where there we was, saw that? Yeah, there, there have been, yeah, what was that? Oh my oh gosh, my there was a thing where we were like, ugh. They're like, hold on. We feel, oh, it was, oh, oh was it, it, was it, oh, fuck me. Oh, 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 oh my God, oh, it's so, was it, it's there. She's like, oh, it was Indiana Jones. It was Indiana Jones because she kisses the captain, the boat captain, or no, she kisses, um, oh, oh, Salah, or Sal- Salah, Salah, and he's yeah, like, Sally. he's like, yeah, yeah, right. And we talked then about the idea of like, a woman, a beautiful woman kissing a man who uh, like wasn't expecting to ever get a kiss from such beautiful a woman. And like what a gift from her. Yeah. I hate I mean I hated that, absolutely. So and then she just like awful. disappears and we right. like don't know why she ever reconciled with Charlie. Yeah. Yes, agreed. Um, um however, there mm-hmm. there was um significant justice for um for briefs, which I was a fan of. <laughs> Over boxers as a, or, as a no, brief for, wearer. Oh, okay. Wait. Uh, I was, I was, I was happy about that. Even though 
Raymond wanted. Boxers. Raymond wanted the boxers, and Tom Cruise was <laughs> like, like, "I wear briefs. I wear fucking briefs, man. <laughs> underwear is underwear. Yeah. Wear the fucking briefs." Yeah, I was like, "Justice for briefs." Great. <laughs> I'm glad that was your <laughs> the thing you loved most about this movie. But also, I just can't really separate the fact that, like, as much as yes, the movie meant well, but like looking for the cultural. Like looking through the the cultural impact, all I'm seeing is just like rows and rows and rows and rows through the past three decades mm-hmm. of it just being used to as like new slang for mentally handicapped people. Yes. And like you can, I imagine, it, you know, Barry Levinson, the writer, like, you know, he's alive. He's alive today. I bet if you said, Hey man, do you feel like Rain Man has been like misused in any way? Do you object to the way people, I don't know, have used Rain Man as a joke? He would probably say, yeah. I mean, like, I would hope. I would hope, yeah. you know? Well, and so this is my, like, I think that that is not, that to me, that is in no way the fault of this movie. That is the fault of our culture and like Hollywood for never making another movie that has an autistic character. Because like, if you think about the time, this was, I mean, they had, they hired like seven, six or seven or eight, um, doctors to be like psychiatrists or, you know, Mm. to be like their, um, why am I forgetting the word? Like experts on autism behavior or something like in the Mm -hmm. movie, you know, like the movie hired them. Right. Um, and like the, for the time, the knowledge of the time, it was relatively accurate. Um, and, and for, and considering just like any other times in films where we've had before this, where we've had a character who was in some way, you know, not neurotypical or like institutionalized or dope word. Yeah. Neurotypical. Holy shit. That's a dope word. Uh, yeah, it is a really great word. Um, like, or yeah, institutionalized or, you know, in whatever they might be like the, they were never a main character and, you know, I mean, the obvious one that jumps into my head is like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and just mm-hmm. kind of representations from the past of like of characters like that who, you know, I'm sure there are some characters in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest who like were probably on the autism spectrum, you know, and like that was kind of what was keeping them there. Right. But like there was never this was the first time that that a character um, who was, you know, institutionalized on the spectrum misunderstood you know by like society right like was the focus and the fact of the misunderstanding and the um and the like frustration with that person was also the focus of the movie and so I feel like uh if this movie just didn't exist then there would be pretty much zero representations of someone with autism because again in the last 30 years we haven't made anything really that has you know that as a focal point Mm -hmm. um and that would be, I think, a huge disservice because, again, like that just sort of pushes pushes people on the spectrum into like a category of like, we don't understand you or you're not worthy of a story for us to tell or like a story about you would not be commercially viable or something. Um, and so I and I think like, yeah, so I think like just the fact of, you know, highlighting that uh, and and really taking the time to try to, to try, which with the efforts and the, uh, you know, resources of the time to really, you know, do justice to a character uh, who's on the spectrum that like, that is really laudable, I think. And I think it's more about the fact that we haven't taken the next steps of like, well, since 
88, we've learned more and we have far more information, you know, and like there, there are, and that's the the thing too, is like, you know, one in like a hundred or one in, it's a very small number of people who on the spectrum who are actually savants. And like this movie has equated us to think that they are the same. Uh, And so like, there are so many, and of course, like even just the knowledge that they didn't have in the eighties that like, it's a spectrum, you know, like is not kind of represented in the movie in the movie. It's like one thing sort of. Um, so I personally feel like it's more about the fact that there hasn't been more made, but that like, if we didn't have this movie, then we maybe wouldn't have anything. Um, and I think that like the villain of this movie is Charlie, like Charlie and his ignorance and his assumptions are the villain. Um, and like, it's a really, I think just like, he's so clearly like an asshole and like, no, the movie does not try to hide it or try to make him seem good. Like he's so obviously just an asshole, you know? And then, and then like seeing this journey where he, you know, coming to, coming to see like humanity in somebody who he wrote off as pretty much not human, which honestly I'm sure is, would have, is like the perception that a lot of people had at the time, um, is like a really valuable message. Um, I would love to change the Susanna storyline. I'm so with you on that. Um, but I think like the core of it is really important. All right. Well, um, uh, you know, a a follow up to that then, um, you know, despite him, uh, despite my opinions on method acting because of his acting approach, I would absolutely believe that it's 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 very likely that much of Dustin Hoffman's portrayal of this degree of autism um is probably very accurate and and well portrayed I do believe that um but we're about to talk about Bill Cosby so now we're looking at Tom Cruise and Dustin Hoffman mm-hmm. um so you know we have two people who have uh, an immense track record of uh, manipulating women, um, uh, abusing women or, you know, with regards to Tom Cruise, I mean, he's the, his sort of anti science bend and like what has come out about his relationship with, uh, Katie Holmes and how he's manipulated her in various ways. I mean, how then do we keep this film that, you know, it didn't, it wasn't, it's like one of his more uh, critically acclaimed film. Cause it's like, he's not a, he's not an action star like Top Gun. He's not a, it's not like a, a teen heartthrob, like, right. like Risky Business. This is him in an adult leading male actor role that's poising him for later films like, like Jerry Maguire. So then how do we rationalize that? Well, I will talk about my reasons for the Cosby show in a minute, which of course certainly do include Bill Cosby and his actions. I think there is, I will make a distinction between someone who is the creator and therefore like, you know, the, a creator of a, a film or a TV show or whatever versus someone who is an actor in it. Um, just as far as like the agency that you have and the power that you had in shaping the stories. And I think if Tom Cruise or Dawson Hoffman was to have, made this movie it would have been a different movie because I think like the just like the empathy in the movie I doubt would come across if one of them was to happen to write try to write it uh so I mean that's like 
for me, that's a distinction that I'm okay standing by. Uh, uh, yeah. Which, uh, you know, I'm sure is, can be controversial or like may not everybody will agree with that. Um, but yeah. Well, <laughs> sounds like we're in an appropriate time for a segue. Great. Let's Great. segue. Let's, Let's talk, talk about, about the Cosby show. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to eat my, this chocolate. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> so but I'm with regards to, uh, why I think that we should keep the Cosby show. Hey, you do have something that I think is, is an absolute good, which is like, we still live in an, in America where people would expect a black family to be unstable or, or, you know, lower middle class, not, um, in a higher skilled profession. Um, we have, you know, this, you know, the, the parents, we have an obstetrician and a lawyer. Um, I mean, she is, they're both like, they're both working. Um, we have, you know, their children are always like encouraged to like work hard. They have a, a strong and like stable, family and this family is is also black yes in the episode that we watched um happy anniversary when the older couple is listing all the things that they had been through together they didn't list you know segregation and they didn't list like civil rights and that to me definitely was like uh, a sharp uh, a surprise. I was like, what? I mean, come on, what? Um, however, like this is in the eighties when it, you know, in, there was an incident, there was an instance of, uh, police violence in the like early 2010s, maybe, maybe 2010 or 11. And when Obama acknowledged that you know it could have been his child like the 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 compassion that he felt for the family was related to the fact that like his child could have been treated the same way people exploded and like and so what you know the question this is 20 plus years before that so like there, there is a, they were pro he was probably wrestling with the fact of we either keep this show the highest rated show on television or we venture into these really difficult topics. And, you know, that's a, they made a decision and some people probably have problems with that decision. You know, the, the good and the bad of that are, are to be weighed by someone other than me. Um, also, with regard to him as the creator, A, I absolutely think that for punishment for, for his crime, he should not be able to profit. I absolutely think that he should be forcibly divested from the Cosby show, um, you know, period. Um, but there are a lot of people who did not have to struggle 
um, because of the residuals that they were able to earn from the Cosby show that much later in their life had to see an extremely drastic change in the quality of their life that was subject to this man's opinion, uh, the opinion of this, of, of this other person's body of work that they didn't have, um, any control over. Um, also he is the only major, uh, figure in the me too movement who has, uh, gone to trial. Uh, Harvey Weinstein has not gone to trial. Um, I, I think that there is, he was also the first, not only to go to trial, but to sort of make any sort of media splash whatsoever and not be pushed under the rug. Um, and it does not, I would be hard pressed for you to make it for anyone to make an argument to me that that is not related to race in any regard. Um, I mean, I think that like, it's also difficult, you know, with regard to, I think, I think it's, fuck it, we're going there. I think it's similar with, you know, the fact that like Louis CK and Aziz Ansari are always paired together when they're talking about, when talking about like me too comedians, regardless of whether or not like public consensus is that their activities were, their transgressions were very different um, and effectively part of different conversations. Now his transgressions, Cosby's are not different from Weinstein's at all, but you know, the, yeah, like the question is like, it's not that Cosby's not the enemy. It's that like, and not that he's being treated unfairly, but that other people are getting unfair passes. Um, but also, um, and then, and then thirdly, this is not like a situation with regard to Woody Allen. You know, this isn't, you know, with Woody Allen, you're seeing like somebody who all of their films are about, you know, manipulating women, abusive relationships, pedophilia. So when this, when he's exposed as a pedophilic abuser of women, it's like, yeah, don't, these fucking movies are just his psyche on display. But I felt like when I was watching this show, like part of the, the, the humor was I felt like I was watching my family that I was watching things that like, like my mom would have said, or my dad would think was like, part of it was funny because it was like, God damn it. My dad would think this is the funniest fucking thing mm. in the world. And so like, and that was not only true when I was rewatching it, but it was true in the early two thousands when my mom and I would watch it on Nick at night. And yes, there is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that is exposing that there is a degree of nostalgia to this for me. Um, but also I think it was probably true in the eighties and to have, you know, I think you also have a situation where it's like, this is a, um, you've got families that are not black looking at a black family and saying, this is me. I, I, I don't know. I think that's huge. Um, and I think he should be, you know, absolutely divested from it. I think that he should, you know, be punished to the full extent of, you know, the law and that the, the 60 plus people who 
he victimized should get, you know, absolute and, and full justice. I just don't know. I don't, I, I don't know. I feel like it's, it's grayer than, I, I don't know. I just feel like it's not as clear cut. Yeah. Um, may I jump in? Please. I, so I'm going to start just, just talking about the show. So I'm going to like thinking about the show itself and like leaving Bill Cosby out of it for a minute. Um, so to start with, like, I think a def- like a really great important thing about like when the show was made and how is that like in the context of, you know, the Reagan era, the eighties, like the horrible stereotypes and assumptions about black people that, you know, Reagan himself was, you know, distributing across the country were horrible and like, you know, welfare and crack epidemic and like all these things. And so like the fact that the show, you know, like you said, is, is about this upper middle class black family and that sort of racism is just kind of not a part of the conversation. Um, I think for the time was actually probably like a, like was a very empowering and actually kind of subversive in a positive way, you know, thing to do. Um, because like you said, it's just like, this could be any family, you know, of this particular class or of this particular socioeconomic status or whatever. Um, but I think that, and so like, I understand the thought process, I think that went into that. Um, however though, I think that like, there are, there are examples of other very successful sitcoms featuring, you know, an all or primarily predominantly black cast that do that, but also, you know, don't pretend that race doesn't exist in this family and how they live in the world. So like, you know, and I think both before and after the Cosby show, so like the Jeffersons being one, you know, also an upper class black family, um, very much a sitcom Mm -hmm. in style, but also, you know, issues of racism and suicide, like every, like all kinds of issues coming into the the show. Um, And then like thinking about today shows like blackish, you know, again, a similar sort of like socioeconomic uh, class of the family. Um, Very funny. And also apparent, according to the creator of that show, it's only like supposedly like 25% of their audience is black. Um, And so, but like where, so you are seeing like a similar, um, fabric I guess of like who this family is and like where they are in society but that also like they're not pretending or not sort of just like pushing to the side uh the fact that racism does exist you know and that it does affect the life of you know at least at some point of most black and brown people you know um whether that's microaggressions or whether it's a large thing you know but that like that is just a part of our society um and that it is still a part of our society you know and so I think like a show can do both. And I think it is potential, especially now, like the question of, should we keep it now? Um, again, letting us like putting aside the Cosby himself question, it's just sort of like this show does, like, I think it does sort of like pretend that racism is just not a part of their life. And like, I agree that like for the time showing that was a really important thing because it allows a universal, you know, uh, access point for maybe white people who are like, I don't want to hear about racism because it makes me feel guilty or it makes me feel uncomfortable or whatever, you know? Um, but that today, like that's, we can all, we all know that like, that's what the world is like and what our country is like right now. Um, still, and like, especially in the era of Trump, it's just kind of like, you know, this, this, we are not sort of like past this. Right. And I think that for 
to watch the Cosby show versus to watch a show like Blackish or something right now, it's sort of like uh, the way, a way of kind of like just kind of plugging your ears to, to the world. Um, so I just think like, and, and, and if this was like the first one, the first show to sort of do that or to, to the first show to like present a black family that was, you know, upper middle class, then like, then maybe it would be the question of like, okay, would these other shows not exist without it? I don't, you know, but it wasn't even the most, like it wasn't even the longest running, like the Jeffersons ran was the second longest running American series with a primarily black cast. And it was only suppressed by Tyler Perry, a Tyler Perry show, which technically beat them by an episode, even though the Jeffersons had more seasons. Um, Mm. So, and that, and the Jeffersons came out, you know, before the Cosby show, right? Or like around the same, it was like, early 80s uh, uh, Jefferson late 70s it, yeah was 70s yeah, yeah. um because it's all in the family yeah right. uh so <laughs> so yeah so I think just like thinking about that for me I'm like looking at what's around it and kind of the other options that we have to watch that do successfully create a funny sitcom that like shows a successful black family but also don't sort of ignore the elephant in the room um that to me, like, and then you get in, and then there's a the question, of course, of Bill Cosby himself. And like, um, so like adding that onto what already I think is like a not, what, what already I, I feel like personally just like is of the shows that are options, like, you know, doesn't do like necessarily a better job than those other options. Like, and then you add Bill Cosby to it. I'm, I just don't think that we should keep it. Um, so doing some looking now, um, like, and by say that, I mean like presently, Mm -hmm. um, it does appear that like in the timeline of primarily African-American television that, yeah, like in the seventies, there were a lots of like sort of, um, the sitcoms all did focus significantly on racial issues, but then it seemed to be both uh, seemed to be a trend for the eighties in general that the to sort of shy away from these racial issues to challenge that uh, like that black people are different than than white people. Um, it seems to be a trend overall in the eighties that then like in the seventies, it started to, um, that, that was like, this was all like capturing of sort of a major mass audience. And then, you know, looking at the timeline, it, it seems to, it goes to, um, it goes to, uh, lots of shows like Martin and living single where people have sort of a lot of black shows started to then focus on, primarily African-American audience uh, with the exception of other shows like uh, Family Matters and, and the Fresh Prince. Um, but then, so I do wonder if, you know, yeah, it does seem to be like part of an overall trend um, that, that isn't just like, if, if the Jeffersons and the Cosby show were concurrent, mm. I would say, that you have like an unequivocal win, mm. but I, I, I would be curious about like, and, and I think that we have, 
I think that we've talked about this before, but I can't really pinpoint it. But like, is there a thing where like, if you removed the Cosby show, I don't know that we would have blackish. Like I, and, and so like, uh, like obviously blackish is sort of, yeah, like blackish is an excellent show that like is definitely would be quote unquote kept, (laughs) but like, you know, would we, would we have it? I don't, I don't know. Like, would we have Family Matters and The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? I also don't know. Um, Because, like... But, and I think, I hear your point, but I also think that, like, again, because we had, so, you know, the Jeffersons, and not only the Jeffersons, but, like, there were, uh, there were a bunch of shows that are less well-known now that, you know, were featuring predominantly black casts. They're shows I honestly never heard of, like, 227, which is, like, an apartment, and Amen, um, you know, but like that there were, yeah, that, so I personally, I, I mean, a, it's obviously like a unanswerable question, of course, because of course. we do, and we have all these shows. Um, but I don't, it doesn't seem to me that the absence of this one, even though it was a huge, huge show. And for so many people, it seems like it was a really big part of their childhood. And even just, you know, reading various articles written by people of color who were like this show, you know, made me want to become a lawyer or like made me see that I could be all these, you know, like whatever it is. Like, and those are, you know, really important stories and it had a huge impact just that like, because it seems like the trail was already kind of laid, um, with other shows that happened previously that like removing it to me doesn't make me think that like there is a large chance that like we wouldn't have these other ones, but who knows? Yeah. I don't know. Um, I don't know. Um, and then there's another, you know, uh, oh, fuck it, fuck it. What? Uh, I'm just thinking about, you know, if you um, like reading, I can't remember the the name of the essay, but um, but you know, Tanasi Kosa's um, write up on um, it was in the Atlantic, but I read it, and we were eight years in power about uh, Michelle Obama, but and just ness, and about like when you know the difference between that he felt when he was growing up where he felt like he was talking about the difference that he felt um, in like black people where he grew up versus like where she grew up in the suburbs of, of Chicago. And that there would, the fact that like she grew up around like um, it, like the suburbs of Chicago were sort of known for having more thriving uh, African-American communities that like they're, like her relationship to like herself as like a black woman and a member of a black family, which is sort of uh, different from his. And like, even when he was attending uh, his, his college that he felt like people from Chicago, just like they had like a different relationship. Um, It made me feel like, you know, uh, that I, it just made me wonder about like, in Brooklyn Heights, like uh, I, I do wonder, uh, you know, what is uh, their their day to day life in New York mm-hmm. like, and are they surrounded by uh, a uh, are they surrounded by uh, an equally thriving 
uh, black community in that area, um, which would, yeah, change the way that they related on like a macro level to their identity. And I just, it, I don't have the answer to that, but it does give me the question. Yeah. I mean, even, you know, and trying to do some fast Googling just cause like knowing, I don't know if that is a neighborhood that like used to be less, like it's a very affluent neighborhood. Right, right now it's like one of now. the most expensive um, neighborhoods to live in, right. in New York city. Uh, but even if that is, was to be the case, like, um, you know, they, the kids go to school and like the parents go to work and not only work, but like, you know, I, Claire being a lawyer, like I would, you know, and they ride the subway and they go into Manhattan and mm -hmm. they travel various, you know, like they live in the city that was like the city of the eighties. Um, and you know, racism sure. existed and 100%. things, you know, uh, and the police presence, like everything, you know, just that it, even if they were in a safe bubble of like we are of like people who were like them in Brooklyn Heights, like let's say like if that was the case, which I again I just like imagine it was always a wealthy affluent area. Um yeah, just that like they still are citizens of the city, which you know. Yeah. Anyways, we're both clearly like <laughs> Googling. Well, um, I, it's not only that. I just feel like to me, both movies, both, both things. Rain Man <laughs> and mm -hmm. um, The Cosby Show have, in, in my opinion, the same problem. And we are deciding which one we're more okay with. I do not see them having the same problem. I mean, that was my I, whole. They're, 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 they're. Thing filled with toxic people who maybe uh, through a, a well-intentioned work have created uh, toxic messages. Well, but what I was saying, you know, putting the people aside, looking at the, like the, my problems with the two as pieces of work are different, you know, in the sense of like the Cosby show as the show and other shows that exist in its same genre versus like Rain Man being a movie that, is the only representation we have of someone with autism that is, you know, in any way trying to be, uh, to present them as a person, which is very different from like, if this was the only show, let's say about a black family, an upper middle-class black family that was like presenting them as full people, you know, who like, then that would potentially change. That might be different for me. Um, and like what, I mean, yeah, I don't want to get into the like question of like who did something worse because that's just like a impossible right. thing. But like, it's impossible, you know, but it's also not. But like, impossible. Bill I mean, Cosby numerically, should Bill Cosby be in jail. Did it worse. And uh, you know, as should Harvey Weinstein for sure. Um, but yeah, this is not a funny. I've been like, what's going to be our hashtag? And there have not been any funny lines <laughs> no there's not been any funny lines this isn't this is a funny. serious one yeah and no i know I, yeah, i'm no, not I, complaining i'm not no, I'm, and just I'm not like arguing yeah. i just don't i'm not gonna have a hashtag for you unless it's right. like something serious which like that's uh, that the world's full of serious hashtags right also like inherently by using the hashtag in the week it's go it, like by virtue of being 
a hashtag, it like minimizes it yeah. in a way yeah. that would <laughs> of course. Yeah. feel inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Of course. You know, yeah. it, it were yeah. someone were to then listen to the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, your hashtag is going to be hashtag no hashtag. Boom. Even then, even then, I feel what? like it's making light of the fact that like we. That, okay, no hashtag really this week. Serious. Then fine, you want to not post anything. What's your other well, option? I, I won't not post anything. <laughs> you I'll are just not allowed to, to like, post. You a can't stop thing. me <laughs> posting. Um, Should we reassess? Oh, what do you think? I think. Let me just see if I missed any parts. Take a little lucky loo. I also, well, okay, this is, have you, did you see Fairview or have you read it? Anything? Jackie Sibley's, Sibley's Jewelry? No. Um, amazing play. Won the Pulitzer this year, which is also just incredible. Uh, okay, I don't excellent think that I can, you. what? Except excellent liquid you. Pulitzer. Um, that can be our hashtag. Hashtag, <laughs> hashtag liquid, liquid you. you. <laughs> that should be Y-O-U. Right, liquid I was just thinking you. of uh, like <laughs> someone being like, like liquefied. Right. <laughs> okay, great. There we go. Great. Yay. Great. Anyways, I'm not going to, because this is too, to explain why it's relevant. Like it's great. I'm also about like, uh, what? <laughs> no. It's all, it's like about sort of the white gaze on like, especially like black uh, sitcoms. Um, mm. uh, but oh, it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's structurally crazy. Uh, incredible i won't give anything like even just talking about the structure gives a lot of the yeah, intensity away um spoiler it has structure it's structured uh, in some t- way spoiler. God damn it. <laughs> um but yeah so never mind <laughs> i just like Jesus i can't Christ. make my point if i don't explain the show so i'm not gonna do that but okay um li- hashtag liquid you let's reassess shall we sure I think I still want to just keep raising. I just, uh, I honestly abstain from voting entirely. Oh, I didn't know we could do that. Well, this is the rules are liquid. Hashtag liquid liquid you. you. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I just, I I feel like there's so much. um, I feel like with with, uh, Rain Man, there's a lot of issues that are there. Like, I really, just the amount that I was sort of looking through and trying to find Mm -hmm. that were ways in which this movie has not affected culture involved with mocking somebody with a physical handicap for, uh, with a mental handicap for a joke. That is our fault, not the movie's fault. Anyway, I don't Right, but it's the movie's impact on culture. It's us being uh, idiots. (laughs) Well, guess what? The only person in there who wasn't an idiot... Was the writer like that? That's it. The only person who wasn't and it, who we can actually say we can believe had a good intention is the writer. No one else has like about, proven. I don't know themselves. who the producers are or the but, other creators. But like they're us. They they are the it. us. The only person well, in this film that's happen. not an us is is. Fucking the the Barry Levinson and his writing partner. 
that is just my general uh, feeling. What, you're, you're really, what is, you're saying is the two leads are the problem, which I agree, but there's a lot of other people. I mean, I know that they are the face of the movie and therefore most famous in the movie, but like. Right, but like, I, there's, but, but you're, if you're saying that like, but like, if you're saying that what we did to the movie is not, uh, shouldn't be taken into account, well, I'm like the we, the the we that that tarnished the what could have been the reputation of this movie. I mean, you're all implicit in that is the belief that the camera people and the supporting actors and the producers that they're not a part of that we who would have willingly tarnished it. And I don't know that that's accurate. I'm just saying that if right now it was 1988 or 89 or even 1990, uh, that like this would be just incredibly monumental in its portrayal and the humanization and the fact that we have not continued to move that forward in the last 30 years is Well, I don't know that we haven't continued to move forward in the last 30 years. I mean, we have, um, in a way, tokenized representation in, in, in cinema, maybe like one every couple of years, whether it's, uh, like I am Sam, whether it's what's eating Gilbert grape or whether it's, uh, parenthood, uh, Mm -hmm. the TV show. I mean, there is that there is sporadic representation. Yeah. Which is just, you know, not enough, not the same, not clearly not enough to have, you know, put some other, uh, influences into the cultural references of like, what it means to quote a movie that is about someone with autism. Okay. You're abstaining. Um, basically I, hear I you. find that, that, and then, and then there's, um, fucking, uh, yeah, so much shit at play when mm-hmm. it comes to the Cosby show that I don't even feel, uh, qualified to even speak to the parts of it that to me feel like such big issues. Yeah. Um, yeah. Agreed. And I totally, I mean, as a white person and a neurotypical person, like both, you know, of my privileges, those two privileges of my many, I'm sure, you know, like make this, uh, I have no idea if what I'm saying is, um, is right or valid or would be agreed with, you know, I don't know. Yeah. It's a really, we got a, we got a doozy of a year here. Yeah. Fucking what a year. What a year. Thanks for God. being born this year, Fucking Julie. You're the yeah, one. Thanks. Way thing to go, Julie. <laughs> um, I did make a haiku. <laughs> I wish I just not. Sick. Um uh sorry. Just okay. Well, okay, we're a Rock Rising Productions podcast. We're happy again. Um, you should Listen to their other shows. You Listen can to follow Spoiler them at and Rock Looking Rising for Artists. And, and we are at Should We Keep This? And, and we are, yeah. And, you know, follow us on no, Not on that we have to Instagram be happy, which it can be. We can live inside of a complex, challenging moment. True. And that is okay. And just wanted to also yeah. get the info across. Yeah. And and this is a, a kind of cathexis oh. that I'm okay with. Oh. Um, I guess I don't want to get rid of it. <laughs> After, After all. After all. <laughs> well, on that note, on that tone of voice, I'll close it off with a haiku. Oh, here we go. <clears throat> Misgivings aside, for Huxtables and Babbitts, family matters. <laughs> That's our show, ladies and gents. <laughs> Genius. <laughs> oh, Genius.
This podcast is produced by Rock Rising. Come follow us on Instagram, and if you want to hear more podcasts, visit rockrising.org. Thanks.